Think on It podcast. Thanks for listening in today. Uh, my name is Kyle, and today I'm going to talk about who I plan on voting for governor in Indiana, and I'm going to try to convince you why you should too. So without further ado, his name is Donald Rainwater, and he's running as the libertarian candidate for the governor of Indiana, like I said. Um, so why libertarian? Well, the first thing is he's not a Republican, and he's also not a Democrat. I really think partisan politics and party politics in general is destroying this country. I mean, we have two different parties that do nothing but bicker. They they don't help anyone. They just said they just say no. I want my way, and I'm not going to move on my position. So you have to move on your position, and that doesn't help anyone. It just hurts the entire country. And Donald Rainwater, he explained um, why he can work with the different parties better than the two major parties can work with each other. This was from an interview on on Saturday Night on the Circle on WIBC. Like, how would you effectively enact your legislative vision? And that's kind of what I'll drive at right now, um, especially when you're considering working with what will likely continue to be a predominantly Republican General Assembly. How would the libertarian uh, Donald Rainwater governor's office work with that Republican General Assembly to affect legislative uh, goals that positively benefit all Hoosiers? Well, I think that's a great question. And I think one of the things that libertarians actually have an advantage uh, with is that we are able to cross the aisle when maybe a Republican or a Democrat can't. Uh, Republicans that try to cross the aisle or Democrats that try to cross the aisle and work collaboratively are often told, um, you can't do that. If you do, we're going to put somebody up against you in the next primary because we don't want you collaborating with the other side. A libertarian doesn't really have that concern. I can go to the members of the General Assembly and I can say, here is an agenda item that I believe we all have a common interest in. Let's sit down collaboratively and work together to come up with a solution to a problem Let's make sure that we're doing something that protects individual rights and doesn't expand government. And let's work together to do what is necessary to fulfill government's job. And I think that because I'm a libertarian, it is much easier for both sides to come together and work with me because they're not uh, necessarily just giving in to the other side. There it is. Donald Rainwater, as a libertarian, can cross the aisle, so to speak, without hurting his image. Um, I mean, let's be honest. Republicans, they refuse to cross the aisle because all they really care about is their re-election. Democrats, they refuse to cross the aisle because all they care about is their election. They only care about themselves. They don't care about us. And we need to change that. We have the power to change that, so why wouldn't we change that? So, that's the first reason why I am plan on voting for Donald Rainwater. Now, I have a list of his issues here, and we're going to go through them one by one. 
and eh, maybe two by two and assess them we'll see if they have any merit see if they work for us and um who knows maybe you might be voting libertarian um, instead of republican and democrat uh, this next election so without further ado he has a taxation pledge that he plans to oppose and veto any and all efforts to increase taxes in indiana now who want it be for this who raises their hand and says i want to pay more taxes actually that's not how it happens who raises their hand and says i want you to take more money from me because if we had the option to pay taxes then we could volunteer and we could decide how much in taxes we can pay but that's not how it works the government decides how much in taxes you pay them and you're completely excluded from that decision the only part that you have is who you vote for so who you vote for has consequences so he's going to fight any efforts to increase our taxes next personal income tax he says as your governor I will work with members of the General Assembly to abolish the personal income tax. The General Assembly is essentially Indiana's Congress. It's Indiana's legislative branch. Okay, so again, why would this be a bad thing? Income tax is theft. If someone walked up to you after a hard day's work, after you got your paycheck on a Friday, and said, hey, give me your paycheck. What would you do? Would you give it to them? Of course not. What if they said, hey, give me 30% of your paycheck? What would you do? Would you give it to them? Of course not. But we give it to the government every time they demand it. So what's wrong with this? What's wrong with having no personal income tax? You do the work. You work hard. Why should the government get any fruits of your labor? He goes on to state that nine states don't have a personal income tax like Alaska, Florida, yada, yada, yada. Well, I know Florida has like a, an 11% sales tax, so your objection might be, well, if we get rid of the income tax, then they'll just hike up the sales tax. Okay, that's fine with me. At least I get the choice of how much in sales tax I pay. I can buy a $500 TV where I can buy a $2,000 TV and that determines how much in sales tax that I actually have to pay. I don't have to buy the $2,000 TV. I don't have to buy the $500 TV, but I have to pay income tax no matter what I make, no matter what job I have. In fact, if you make more, you get punished more because you have to pay more. So again, completely supportive. Next, residential property tax. As your governor, I will work with members of the General Assembly to abolish the residential property tax on primary residences in Indiana. The one thing I don't like about this is that it's only on primary residences in Indiana. I think any property tax is extortion. Let me say that again. Any property tax, whether it's on a business, a rental, or your personal residence, is extortion. I see no difference between property tax on a business and 
income tax. You still have to pay taxes on a business. And the same with rentals. Rentals is a business. So if you have to pay property taxes on a rental, it's no different than income tax. But regardless, it's extortion. Why do I call it extortion? Imagine if I knocked on your door and said, Huh, nice house you got here. Be a shame if something happened to it. Now what what might happen? Well, I don't know, but it might leave you homeless. Now, I, I can assure you that it won't happen. You just got to pay me a little something. Now, you don't get to decide how much you pay me. I'll, I'll decide how much you pay me. And I want paid every six months. That's what happens with the government. That's what they do to us. That's what they do to people who own property. And I hate to even use the phrase own property. Because when they extort you for your property, you don't actually own it. You could have a $5 million house paid off. You'd own it free and clear. And then you miss paying your property taxes. And it gets taken away like that. It's gone. So, how do you own it? No, property taxes are extortion. And they're the equivalent to the mafia. So, I'm completely supportive of no property taxes at all. Next. I'll try not to read them verbatim for now because it's taking up too much time. Okay, next is the vehicle excise and registration tax. He plans on eliminating those. You register your vehicle one time when you purchase the vehicle or transfer the title. And then he wants to eliminate the annual ritual of renewing your vehicle registration and paying the registration fees and excise taxes. Again, this is very similar to property taxes. If you own the car, why do you have to pay taxes on the car? You own it. All these types of taxes are wrong. And if government gets too big, there's no end to what they can tax. Oh, you didn't pay your annual computer tax? Too bad. Here, you have to forfeit your computer. Oh, your lamp tax. Sorry, you didn't pay it. We have to take your lamp. It's absurd. All these taxes are, are money-making schemes because they can't control their spending and they can't balance their budget. That's all it is. All taxes need to go. I, I'm supportive of the sales tax. We can do that because you, the taxpayer, get that choice. Okay, next. Roll back on gasoline excise tax. I didn't know this, but we pay an extra 30 cents in Indiana per gallon on tax. Why? Because the government wants your money. So, yeah, again, let's get rid of it. Fully supportive. Property ownership. This is really just a continuation on what he's said already. And what I've said already. The government should not be able to take your property involuntarily for any reason. Of course, we own the property. The government doesn't own the property. It's extortion. If the government can take your property because they want to, because they tell you to, well, then you don't actually own the property. Individual rights. Decriminalization and legalization of cannabis. 
This is the first topic on his list that I have a problem with. I do not support the legalization of marijuana. However, I do not support the government telling us what we can and cannot do. And I, I'm going to have to elaborate my thoughts on this a little bit. I have a difficult time determining exactly where Christians should push their morality in government. I'm trying to be very careful with how I word this, so bear with me. I believe that when Christians start putting their faith in the government and the morality of the legislation from the government, then we rely solely on the government to protect that morality. And when we shift that responsibility from the church to the government, then we make the church a little smaller and make the government more important than it actually is. Now here's the thing. Legislated morality will always change. Biblical morality never will. So we can't put too much emphasis on legislated morality because we can't rely on it. We can rely on the biblical morality. And when the government goes awry or it changes what it used to believe and the world gets darker and darker, then the church should shine all the more. The darker the world goes, the more the church should shine. But I think we've come into a problem because I think as a church, we have relied on the government too much and that has caused us to ignore some of the morality taught in the Bible. So when things like this change, when the legalization of marijuana changes or women are given the right to kill their unborn child, when that changes, the church is up in arms and they say, what do we do because we haven't preached on this? We haven't taught this for decades, maybe even centuries. And then there's a big scramble and, and then no one actually listens to the church when they try to come to the forefront again because they haven't been at the forefront of it in a long time. The, the government's been at the forefront of it and everyone's put their stock in the government and taken it out of the church. And that's how I do feel. When it comes to morality, you cannot have stock in a certain aspect of morality in two places. It has to come out of one and into another. So when we take, again, abortion, for example, when we invest into the morality of the government for abortion and put our stock into that, we have to take it from somewhere and inevitably it'll have to come from the church. Now, our morality hasn't changed. The morality is still founded on the Bible. But where we've put in our interest when where we've put in our hope has changed and when i say hope i don't mean eternal hope i just mean hope for our current time for our society now 
trying to get back to the legalization of marijuana. I was talking to a friend about this, and his concern was that if marijuana is legalized, then it would have to be extremely regulated like cigarettes and alcohol. My response was, why do cigarettes and alcohol have to be regulated? Again, it goes back to the darker the world goes, the more the church should shine. And then I proposed to him a theory. I, I can't prove this theory, but could it be possible that something like alcohol abuse is so prevalent because of these regulations? Is it possible that it could be that it's seen as taboo and that encourages people to abuse it? Um, and I, I told him there were no regulations on alcohol back in Jesus's day. It was regular to drink wine. And then I made the point that Jesus probably drank wine when he was a child. I have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old and a three-year-old, he was probably drinking wine at those, at those ages. Maybe not three, but at six, at eight, he was probably drinking wine. Now, before someone gets all up in our arms, they didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have a good method to sanitize water. They didn't have tap water. They didn't have a water treatment plant. And they didn't have Coke, Diet Coke, or Mountain Dew. One of their liquid staples was wine. But yet, he wasn't a drunk. So, I don't know. Okay, let's move on. Next uh, is constitutional carry. People should have the right to bear arms. And that shall not be infringed. I don't understand what is so complex about that sentence right there and i don't know why it causes so much controversy it's a very simple statement anyways he supports the second amendment as everyone should even if you don't carry a gun it's in your constitution every constitutional right should be protected and supported next medical freedoms hoosiers must be allowed to make their own health care decisions and the health care decisions for their minor children. Agreed. He says, Hoosiers should not be forced by government mandate to purchase health insurance. And government shouldn't force you to get a vaccine. Again, when, when government starts telling you what you have to do, where does it stop? When government tells you, you have to make these medical decisions, even if it's against your conscience. Where does it stop? Why should we, the taxpayer who funds the government, be told what to do and how to do it? So say you like holistic health care, which I do. Um, but government tells you that you have to buy this insurance from the government. And that insurance doesn't pay for holistic health care. So then why should you be forced to pay for it? Why should you be penalized if you don't pay for it? 
And why should the government tell you how to handle your health? You think that the people in Congress or the person in the White House knows better than you do? They're a bunch of lawyers and Democrats. You think the CDC knows the best when they're all opinionated and biased on, on one side of the medical spectrum? Well, and you can't dissent from them or else you don't believe in science. It's absurd that the government thinks they know better than you about your health. No, the government should not be involved in healthcare and taking care of your health at all. They need to get out of the medical field and start doing their job. But I digress. Moving on. Adulthood. Donald Rainwater wants to lower the age of adulthood down to 18 years old. I have no problem with this. We allow 18-year-olds to go serve in our country and to risk their lives for the freedoms that we have in this country. And we let them vote for the most powerful positions in the world. But they're not allowed to drink and smoke. Okay. Someone please tell me how that makes sense. Of course the age needs to be lowered to 18. They're smart enough to pick the ruler of the free world. But when it comes to picking up a beer, oh no, we know best. Next, he talks about occupational licensing. He essentially wants to get rid of a lot of the red tape when it comes to getting licensed in a career. He's, he, he's not saying that for every career. He says that doctors and lawyers need to have stringent requirements, but other things like Hairdressers, plumbers, electricians, auctioneers, real estate agents could be licensed or certified by their respective professional or associations. Not the government. The government doesn't need to license all those. It can be entirely in-house. Um, I, I do believe that a lot of occupational licensing uh, through the government is just, again, another scheme to bring in money for them. How's the government going to know who's a good hairdresser or not? Hmm? A test? Really? Do you know what you don't need tested for? You don't need tested to run for president of the United States of America. You don't need tested to run for U.S. Senate or U.S. House of Representatives. You don't need tested to be in any government office. But a hairdresser? Oh, no, no, no. You can't. Well, you can't be a hairdresser unless you fill out this paperwork and take a test. You can't be a plumber. You don't know anything about water unless you get the education. You go to the school and take a test and we let you be a plumber. But, yeah, go run for president of the United States of America. That's fine. Moving on now, after my rant, I uh, talks about abortion. He says that he believes that abortion does not violate the non-aggression principle in emergency situations where the mother's life is in jeopardy. Now, this is what's used by Democrats all the time. Um, 
to promote abortion. But statistically, those instances are almost never. We're in a point in our medical knowledge and our medical abilities that the amount of times that a mother is at risk of dying um, if she doesn't abort her baby is practically zero. But I must say, in those instances where it's actually the case, where it's either the mother or the child, I'm not in a position to make that judgment. I think it's very easy for pro-lifers to say, oh, under no circumstances should a baby ever be aborted. But they're not the ones sitting by the bedside of the mother telling the mother it's either you or the baby. I'd like to see more pro-lifers who say that actually sit by the bedside of that woman dying telling her that a decision has to be made and that it's quite possible that if a decision isn't made then they'll both be gone. I don't think any pro-lifer has the nerve to sit by that bedside so I'm not going to sit here on a pedestal and I act like I have been there because I haven't. But again, those situations are so few and far between because of what we know that they basically never happen. They don't happen so much that this is almost a non-issue. I won't say it is a non-issue because I can't guarantee that it never happens. But it's almost a non-issue. He goes on to say that, and I completely disagree with him on this part, is that um, abortion does not violate the non-aggression principle when the mother has been sexually assaulted. That means that if a woman is raped and she becomes pregnant, she can get an abortion. No. That is a big no. No, never, no way, no how. And why? Because two wrongs don't make a right. The child should not be punished for the crime of the criminal. For the crime of the rapist. The child's life should not end because some idiot couldn't control himself. What's that have to do with the kid? It's not his fault. It's not her fault. But it's certainly not the mother's fault either. And I I will say that it's not fair for the mother to have to take on the responsibility of raising a child when she did nothing in the wrong. And this is where the church really misses it. The church desperately needs to step up and start taking care of these women and these children. We pray for the end of abortion all the time, but yet we don't sign up as foster parents, but yet we don't give to the organizations that help these women. So what's the point of praying for it? What's the point of praying for abortion to be illegal if we sit on our 
butts and do nothing about it. And I firmly believe that as long as the church is lazy and all they do is pray about abortion, they don't actually do anything to help these kids or these women, then abortion is going to stay legal. James says that faith without works is dead. And then there's an instance in Exodus where Moses starts praying to God and God responds, What are you doing? Get off your face. Get up and do something. Prayer requires action. And I think the church is missing that when it comes to abortion. Now, I know what you're thinking. You can't vote for Don Rainwater because he's not pro-life enough. You can only vote for a Republican because only Republicans are strictly pro-life. Well, I want to challenge your thinking on that because I don't think Republicans are as pro-life as they actually are. For instance, in 2019, the U.S. House of Representatives, um, pretty much, as far as I know, every single Republican in the U.S. House of Representatives supported a bill that was protection at conception. Okay, that's fine and dandy. But why'd they do it in 2019? They didn't have a majority in 2019. They couldn't pass in 2019. They knew that. Why didn't they do it in 2017 or 2018? In 2017 and 2018, Republicans had the majority in the House, in the Senate, and they had the White House. They had a super majority. This act could have gone through quickly and easily. Furthermore, if the House is introducing bills like this, why won't the Senate? Republicans have the Senate still. Surely they could get it passed, right? But they're not introducing it. Now, closer to Indiana, the representative in the General Assembly from District 22, Kurt Nisley, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, if I'm not, I'm sorry. For the past few years, he's introduced a protection of life bill, which is essentially protection at conception. Well, every single year, that bill falls flat on its face. Why? Because he can't get anyone to co-author it. He can't get one more person in the House of Representatives and in Indiana's General Assembly to put their name on that bill. Not one. And this is pretty significant considering Indiana is largely a Republican state. It is not uncommon in Indiana for Republicans to have the House, the Senate, and the governorship. So why can't they get something like this passed? Why can't they get it through and signed Maybe Republicans aren't pro-life. Maybe they say it just to get your vote. I mean, that's what I think. They're politicians. They'll lie to you. Well, you think that just because they're conservative, they have Christian ideals and Christian values like you shouldn't lie? Come on. The fact is, no Republican except Kurt Nisley is willing to put his money where his mouth is. He's the only one that shows, yeah, I am pro-life, and I'm going to do something about it. So, kudos to Kurt, and thank you 
for living up to your word. All the others, in my opinion, are cowards, liars, and, well, we can just call them politicians because that's synonymous, right? They want your vote. They'll do anything to get your vote. But they won't do anything about it. They'll say they've tried. Look at the U.S. House of Representatives. Now they can say that they've tried and they can blame the Democrats for it not going through. But they didn't do anything about it before. So I don't think Don Rainwater is any less pro-life than the Republicans that say they are, but won't live it out, won't act it out. And I'd rather vote for Don Rainwater than a Republican who says they're pro-life, but acts like they're pro-choice. He also goes on to say that he does not believe that government should use tax dollars to fund any private organization. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The government should stop funding Planned Parenthood. Or any private organization for that matter. You don't see the government giving money to Samaritan's Purse. Do you? You don't see the government giving money to the Red Cross. Do you? No. What? Other private organizations does the government give money to besides Planned Parenthood? They're certainly not Christian organizations because that crossed the line between church and state. Yeah, right. <clears throat> it's nonsense. The government should not be involved in private organizations. Planned Parenthood is a private organization. The government should not give money to it. Or the government ought to give money equally to all private organizations without distinction. That's only fair, right? It's either all or nothing. Moving on. Maximize school choice. Donald Rainwater wants to ensure that Hoosier parents have school choice options such as public school, private school, online school, charter school, and homeschool. Well, I think this is great because we homeschool our kids, yet we still have to pay taxes that go to public schools. So I'm paying twice for education. Why? Are you going to try to convince me that some bureaucrat in Washington, D.C. knows what's best to teach my children? Here in Indiana? I don't think so. Do you think someone in Indianapolis knows best about what to teach my children? The teachers union is a detriment to society. Your children only learn what the teachers union decides what your children should learn. And they also decide how you should learn it. No, money should follow the kids wherever the kids go. So I fully support Donald Rainwater in this. Next, he wants to eliminate standardized testing throughout Indiana. Okay, I'm fine with that. No problem. Standardized testing is a big waste of time. You spend an entire year showing your teacher what you do and don't know. So what's the point of a standardized test telling you the same thing? It's pointless and a big waste of money. Next, vocational education. He wants to get 
vocational education programs back into school. Great. The one thing I wish I would have had in school was shop class. They did away with it before I got to that grade. And it's a shame. Right now, there is a high demand for vocational workers, whether they're electricians, plumbers, carpenters, and so on. For some reason, we have this idea in our head that you need to get good grades in high school so you can get in a good college and then you can get a good career. But yet, people coming out of college are struggling to find good paying jobs because now everyone has a college degree and no experience. Well, with vocational school or vocational education, you can get the experience to get a good paying job right out of high school. So again, this is great. Next, localized education control. He wants to allow the decision-making powers of a public school to be within that public school system. What's the problem with that? The state government or the federal government should not have the power to dictate what a local school does. He says that reducing the size and scope of the State Department of Education we will free up funding which can be redirected to our classrooms instead of being spent on multiple levels of oversight. So by allowing schools to do what schools ought to do, the money can go back to the kids. And isn't education about the kids anyway? Yes, it is. Next, he talks about ballot initiatives, referendums, and recalls. And also the Tenth Amendment. Well, honestly, I don't really have anything to say on these um, because they don't really warrant an opinion. Um, so there you have it. I'm done. So besides his view on abortion, which I really hope he'd reconsider, I agree with everything. If he if he actually listens to this podcast, which I highly doubt he will. I really hope that he reconsiders his view on abortion about uh, when a mother has been sexually assaulted. Because what's that open the door for? Like, what's the standard to prove that she's been sexually assaulted? Is it just her words? I mean, that that if it's just her words, that opens the floodgate. All she has to do is walk in there and say, I've been sexually assaulted. I want an abortion. Oh, oh. Okay, here you go. Bing, bang, boom. That is absolutely not acceptable. We cannot allow people to do that. But I digress. But this is why I plan on voting for Donald Grainwater for governor of Indiana. And this is why I think you should too. Let me know what you think. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.